great to see you. Hey, welcome, uh, as I said before. Um, if you're a visitor, and I know we've got a, a few visitors here today, which is fantastic. We've got Jonna Cooper, which is Mikey Cooper's brother. He's here, welcome, Jonna. Not Jono, but Jonna, apparently. Hope I got that right. Um, great to see Jesse and his partner and family. Thanks, man, for coming. It was brave of you. It's uh, to come here, and it's a strange place if you, if you don't go to church often. And so welcome, man, as a friend. Um, we're just so thankful that you're here. It's really great. Uh, and if you are a visitor and you're wondering what we're looking at, we're looking at the book of Acts. So we're pretty much quite a bit through it. Um, and so I'll try and explain probably just a little bit before up to Acts 22. And so I'll try to explain a wee bit um, of where we are, if you like. So basically, Lincoln Badger spoke to us last week, and he spoke to us on Acts 21. And Paul was in trouble here. He was in the temple. They thought he was blaspheming. They thought he had brought Greeks into the temple. And so in Acts 21, they actually seize Paul, who is an apostle, who is one who has seen Jesus, which he explains later on in Acts 22. And so that's what the meaning of apostle means. And so he has seen Jesus. He is now his follower because at one stage he was his enemy. And so they, they seize this man called Paul, who has been in the temple in Jerusalem, in Israel. And so in verse 30, this is what was happening. It said, the city, all the city was disturbed and the people ran together and they seized Paul. They dragged him out of the temple and shut the temple doors. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander, the Roman commander of the garrison of all Jerusalem because all of Jerusalem was in an uproar because of this man called Paul. And so immediately the soldiers or the Roman soldiers and the centurions, they ran down, it says in verse 32 of chapter 31, and they grabbed Paul and they stopped the beating of Paul and grabbed him back to the barracks. So they, they virtually, the Romans saved uh, this man from being killed by these Jewish believers or followers of Judaism. And so then that's what happens. And then Paul asked the Romans to go back to speak to his countrymen. He wanted to go back and speak to these Jewish people who were trying to kill him. So the Romans allowed him to do that under guard. And so that's basically what was happening coming up now to chapter 22. And we're going to read it, not all of it, but we're going to read some of it um, and then go through it if you like. It says this, Brethren or brothers and fathers, hear my defence before you now, said Paul to this mob. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. And then Paul speaks to them. He says, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia. I was brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our fathers of the law, zealous towards God as you are today. I persecuted the church to death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, 
I had the high priest who bears witness of me and all of the council of the elders whom I received letters from them. And I went to Damascus to bring chains to those who were following Christ back to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened in this journey, I came near to Damascus about noon and suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with him saw this light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice that spoke to me. So I said, Lord, what should I do? And the Lord said to me, arise and go to Damascus. And there you will be told all the things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of the light, in other words, Paul was blinded, Seeing and being led by the hand for those who were with me, I came to Damascus. And there was a certain man named Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with the Jews who dwelt there. He came to me and he stood and he says, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And so it was that very hour I looked at him. And he said to me, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one. In other words, to see Christ or the righteous one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be a witness to all men for uh, what you have seen and what you have heard. And so what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptised and, be, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So Paul did all that. Now it happened, he returned to Jerusalem. Remember, this is him telling a story to these men who want to kill him. So I returned to Jerusalem after this, praying in the temple. And I was in a trance and I saw Jesus again. Make haste, Jesus said to me. Get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, I know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed on you. And when, your blood, um, and, and when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was standing consenting to his death, guarding his clothes while they were killing him. And he said to me, depart, and I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. When the crowd now, this is the story, coming back to the story that Paul was telling them. And they listened to him until that word, that word more than likely is that word Gentile. Then they raised their voices Away with such a fellow from this earth, for he is not fit to live. And they cried out, they tore their clothes, they threw dust into the air. And the commander who was guarding Paul ordered him back to the barracks that he could be examined under scourging or whipping that they may know why they were shouting against him. And so they bound Paul. They took him back to the barracks. But before they scourged him, Paul asked one of the centurions there and he told him, would you condemn a Roman? Because Paul was a Roman citizen as well. And that saves basically Paul from getting whipped. So that's Acts 22. Now the funny thing with Acts 22 and, and what I thought of is sometimes my memory works and, and I remembered that there's Acts 9 and Acts 9 was actually spoken in July by Lincoln Badger. 
and the conversion of Paul. And now Acts 22, we have the conversion of Paul. And if you go further on to Acts 26, you'll have the conversion of Paul. And I thought to myself, well, how can I make things new? It's already been preached here in July, now here and now in probably four weeks' time. We'll go over it again. But there are some differences, but I have taken a slightly different track, if you like, on Paul's conversion, his story. Um, but as I say, there are some differences. When, like, you go to Acts 9, you see Acts 9 told by Luke. So it's told on third-person perspective. But you come to Acts 22, and now it's Paul himself telling him, or telling this crowd and telling us, which is written in the book of Acts, of how he was saved, his conversion, how he met Jesus. And so it's told by Luke in Acts 9, third-party perspective, now in Acts 26, uh, 22, it's told by Paul himself. And then in Acts 26, he is, he is telling it again, but different details, slightly different details to King Agrippa. And so though if you go through it and you, you, you look at all three conversions of what Paul was saying, you'll see different things, even to the extent of the brightness of the glory of God. In Acts 9, we have it as pretty bright. He saw the glory of the Lord at noon. In Acts 22 here, we have, it was really bright. It blinded me. And then in Acts 26, it was so bright, it was brighter than the sun. And so we have all these slightly different things, which I'm not going to concentrate on because they're just details. But what we can take away from this, from Acts 9, Acts 22 and 26, that this was not a dream of Paul. This was not internal. This was not a vision which happened to him on the road to Damascus. This was real. The blindness was real. The seeing, the hearing of the voice was real. And so on and so on. And so what I want to do today, if I can, very quickly, is to split Acts 22 into three parts. Three parts. The first part from 3 to 5, and verses 3 to 5, which we've read. The title is, I was where you are. I was where you are. And then from verses 6 to 14, I've entitled it, I was called by God. And then from verses 15 to 21, I was called not only by God, but to be a witness to the nations, to be a witness to the Gentile nations. And so I've broken it up uh, in these three parts and we'll just quickly go through them. First and foremost, from verses 3 to 5, we see... Um, Paul talking about himself, his upbringing. I was where you are. And at the very end of verse three, this is basically what he is telling the people. As you are today, so I was. So this crowd's beating him. And Paul could say to them, as you are doing now, I used to do. I used to do that. I used to beat the church and these believers of this man called Jesus up and kill them and put them into prison. And so Paul connects with them and he starts off in this personal journey to them. He shares his upbringing just as he did to the Philippians in Philippians 3. Slightly different details there. And so he has this list of about eight or ten I was or I am to them. And this is how Acts 22 starts. When a mob comes at you, you want to say something to them. Paul had it figured out. 
So he connects with them and he says to them, I am a Jew. I was born in Tarsus. I was brought up in Jerusalem. I was a student. I was trained in the law. I was zealous. I persecuted. I arrested. I put them in prison. I obtained letters. I knew the high priest. I knew the elders. It's a bit of a good list, eh? And of course, as the crowd hushes and they listen to Paul, it stops them. Not only that, he speaks to them in their own language, in the Aramaic or Hebrew language. And so Paul is saying, where you are, so was I. And it reminds me of that, that, um, it reminds me of that lovely story, and I know I keep harping back to it, of a man walking through in Chicago in, in the graveyard there, and he stops and he sees this gravestone, and on it had this poem. Pause now, stranger, as you pass me by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. And someone had written underneath it, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. But it just reminded me of that. Pause now, stranger, as you pass me by. So you are now, so once was I. And this is what Paul was saying to this crowd. I know where you are. I know what you're going through. I know your zealous and your passion to kill me because I was just like that. But what he does is connect with them. He connects with these people. And so for me, as I see Paul staring at the face of death and connecting with these people of like, I was where you are. It's important for us to understand, though Paul in a difficult situation, that the difficult situation that he's in, he can still connect to people. And I was, when I was reading this, I wondered, is that really important to us? That going through difficult situations like sorrow, trials, tribulations, depressions, um, disappointments, even our sin, which we did. Can we use that to connect with people? No matter what you're going through now, can you connect with people? Early in my pastoring uh, years, though I've been in ministry now for around 18, pastoring slightly different, pastoring's a lot different, and uh, very hard, very hard. I got down quite a bit. And I remember at a pastor's meeting, uh, one man saw me down. Actually, two men did, but one man took quite a bit of notice. His name was Dave McMillan. And he came alongside me and he said, basically, I know what you're going through. I know what you're going through because I've been through it. So we met up, he said, I'm going to meet you in a week's time and we're going to have a coffee. And we spent three hours together, one of the top three hours of my life, as he pulled me out of the pit because he had been there. And so the rubbish that he went through, he could understand. And so he picks me up and helps me and walks with me. And probably now for me, the biggest kicks I get in my job is now going around other pastors, not just in Hamilton but Dunedin or Invercargill or around New Zealand and helping them and talking to them, I can now say, I have been where you are. And so I connect with them and it's fantastic. And you will have your own story. You'll have the stuff that's gone on before and you'll be able to connect with people. Because as Paul connects with them and he can say to them, as you are now, so once was I, 
he then leads in to speak about Jesus. They have calmed down. Everything's all right so far. They're listening because they say, wow, his background is quite amazing. And so we want to listen to what he says. And so as Paul connected with this angry mob, they now listen to him. And Paul starts down the track of his conversion, of how he met Jesus. You'll notice the rather large canyon between that first section of three and five to now the next section of six and 14. As Paul started this, this chapter, as Paul started this um, conversation with this crowd, he started off, I was a Jew, I was a zealous Jew, I was an intellectual Jew, I was trained, I had letters, I knew people. Taharat changes when he met Jesus. In verse seven, now we find him, I fell on the ground. My face is in the dust as Jesus comes to him. All that Paul was, all that Paul did, all that Paul thought, all that Paul had accomplished was naught compared to meeting this Jesus. And so he meets his Lord So the heights of three and five of who he was to the depths of meeting Christ and who he is. I fell to the ground. Listen to what he says just in that little passage. I fell to the ground. I heard a voice. I asked, who are you, Lord? Then I asked again, what shall I do? And finally, I was told, get up and go. Completely different, isn't it? From his previous life to his life now when he meets Christ Out of that little section, there is one question, or there's two or three, but there's one that's so important. So important here for us that we must ask this question in our life and find the answer. And that question is in verse eight, who are you, Lord? Who are you? Can everyone here answer that question? For themselves, not for their neighbour, not for their family, or not for anyone else, but for themselves. Can you ask that question, or do you know the answer to that question? Who are you, Lord? Who are you? I could tell you who he is from Scripture. It might not make it easy, but in First Colossians, I'll just quickly zip through a few. In First Colossians. I'll tell you who he is. For him, by Jesus, all things were created that were in heaven and earth, visible and visible, thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. All things were created created through him, for him. And before all things existed, he was there. All things consist of him and all things. He has the top preeminence, if you like. Hebrews 1 tells us, he is the brightness of the glory and the expressed image of God's person upholding all things by the power of his word, becoming so much more greater than the angels. In Hebrews 5, uh, sorry, Revelation 5, we were told, John looking for someone worthy enough to open a scroll in heaven. And we say, and then John turned and I saw in the midst of the throne a lamb who had been freshly slain. We can go to lots of passages of who the Lord is. 
I could say to you today, he is the saviour of the world who loves you and died for you, took your sin upon himself on the cross, died and rose again on the third day for you and you specifically. I could tell you he is waiting for you to call out for him, to put you on his shoulders as it were, like a sheep and take you back to the fold and with all of heaven rejoice. But maybe it's just for you to ask this morning that question to, your, to, to the Lord himself. And you're wondering, I'm not quite sure if there is a God, but still ask that question. Lord, if you're there, can you tell me who you are? Because after you find out who he is, you'll come to the next question. And then, Lord, what shall I do? What shall I do? Paul got an answer in verse eight. He said, Lord, who are you? And the Lord responded, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one whom you are persecuting. That's who he was to Paul. But he's so much more than that as well. So I was where you are. Paul connects with them. He was called of God, told where to go. And then from verses 15 to 21, I was called to be a witness to the nations. Paul's calling. Paul's still talking to the crowd now. From verses 15 on, he received his sight. Ananias explains to him in verse 14, the God of our fathers has chosen you to do his will, etc. And I'm sure as Paul is talking to the crowd, they love to hear them words, that little quote, the God of your fathers. It brings them back to where they are and just keeps the peace, keeps the crowd calm for a little while. But the bigger picture now is coming in for Paul's life. What shall I do? You shall be a witness to all the nations, to all men, Paul. I love in verse 16, Ananias, the man he is with, speaking to Paul when he gains his sight back. He says to him, everyone's blunt in, through Scripture, I've just realised. Um, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Be baptised. Call upon the name of the Lord. What are you waiting for? And this brings me to a question that we must ask of ourselves here as well. This morning, are you here? This morning, have you trusted Christ? This morning, are you serving him? This morning, do you love him? Well, then you will obey him. And you'll do what Ananias, that question that Ananias posed to Paul is for you as well. If you're walking with the Lord and you're not baptised, what are you waiting for? Why aren't you baptised at the moment? It's a command of the Lord. It's what we must do. If you love him and you want to obey him, you must be baptised, not for salvation, but to show an outward appearing that you really do love him and I really do want to obey him. We have a nice deep pool down here and we would love to baptise you. So come and see one of the elders. If that's hit you this morning, why am I not baptised? What are my reasons? If there is none, then come and see us because there should be none. In a different context, and I've kind of went a slightly different way, as Ananias was straight, what are you waiting for? What about in the context of mission? What if the context of study, of ministry, of Sunday school, of youth work or camping, whatever, 
of service for the Lord. Are you doing it? Have you been called for it? Then what are you waiting for? Maybe you might say to me, well, financially, we're not financial enough to go out to do this. Maybe I haven't got enough time to be involved. Maybe I'm too old. Maybe my children are just not at the right stage at the moment. And I know them kind of answers because I used to give them when the call came. So it's not foreign for me. And so Kath and I struggled with them questions. Are the kids at the right age? Is our bank balance okay? Do we want to move away from a real good church that we had? And so them questions fill your mind. But if God has called, what are you waiting for? It's never the right time. It's never a good time. The ducks never line up. And sure, you've got to be sensible in certain ways. But it's never the perfect time. But are you willing to trust Jesus when he calls you to something? Are you willing to trust him? Paul now tells the crowd about being in Jerusalem and uh, praying in the temple. It's funny this we part here. um, The Lord Jesus tells Paul to leave quickly from Jerusalem. They're not going to accept the message you have to give to them. And so... Paul decides to tell Jesus of his past. He said, Jesus, don't you realise that I have done a lot of damage to the people outside of Jerusalem? I have arrested people. I have beaten people. Must I remind you, Jesus, of your servant Stephen? And notice what Paul calls him, your martyr. He is yours now. I understand that he is your, but he's dead. And I'm the one. Lord, don't you remember I guarded the clothes of those who were killing him, of those who were stoning him. And Paul tells Jesus of his past, but notice once again the blunt answer. You'd think Jesus would go over with Paul, hey, I understand that's your past, but because of what I've done, I've forgiven, etc. But But Jesus doesn't. Jesus just says, go. Or the Greek word, depart. I will send you from here to the Gentiles. No mixing of words. This is your call, Paul. I knew your past. I was there. Didn't you realise I just told you who I was and that you were persecuting me? Now go. And so now Paul addresses and establishes that claim. Even though he was a loyal Jew, these new features of his faith. This is not a new faith. I was watching a YouTube clip on church history. And, and it was very, very good of the apostolic fathers. And he said, well, the Jewish faith, Judaism is here and the Roman gods are here, nothing to do with Christianity. And I didn't quite agree with this. This is not a new faith Paul had. It was a new revelation of the faith and the carrying on of the Jewish Messiah coming. So this is not a new faith. But Paul tells them the new features of it. This is what was told to me by this Jesus. And so his entire ministry was going to be to the Gentile world. This was not a product of his own mind, his own notions, nor any sense of his personal initiative. This was from God himself. It came directly from heaven. It was God's revelation to him. 
Nothing less could explain his transformation, could it? From a persecutor of the church to a committed follower of Jesus. But the reaction to these claims, however, were less than great, were they? The word Gentile sets them off. Their worst fears had come. This was blasphemy that Paul wanted to reach the world for Jesus, to reach the world with the Saviour, to reach the world with the Messiah who had come. They had forgotten, hadn't they, of Isaiah 49, where it says, I will also give you a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. That was God's plan for this nation to reach the world. Now it was down to a man to spread it to the nations. And as Paul, they, they tear their clothes in anger. Paul would have understood that. He's done that himself. Luckily, no stones, so they're flinging dust in the air. But more importantly, there was a Roman garrison behind Paul, which I think helped the most. But these guys were angry. They wanted to kill him. And so the Roman soldier centurion decides to take him back, take him back for a flogging. Because remember, he wouldn't know. It says that he didn't know what was going on. He couldn't speak Hebrew, the Roman. And so just by the actions, whatever Paul had said, he had caused problems again. So let's go back and beat him. So you can picture Paul here. The Jews want to kill him. The Romans want to flog him. The funny thing is, is that Paul was just telling these people, the Jewish people, that these people behind me, the Romans, are the ones I need to witness to. These are the ones who need Christ. They were behind him. They wanted to flog him. But he was also telling the people in front of him that his revelation was from heaven itself, from Jesus himself. He was the one. He is the Messiah. And yet both. Flogging could kill 80% of people who got flogged, of men. So he's really caught between a rock and a hard place. I'm sure he must have said a second time, Lord, what will I do? But Paul knew that he was a Roman citizen and he couldn't be flogged. And so he gets out of it that way. And so as we've seen and been and travelled through Acts, we do know that whatever the Lord wanted of Paul, Paul was on board with. We knew he wanted him in Jerusalem, so Paul was there. We knew he wanted him to travel around the world, around the nations. He had done that on his way to Rome, the final place. And so Paul knew that the Lord's will was always right. But he also knew that the Lord's will was not always safe. He had experienced that many times. And yet in front of him was this Jewish mob in whom he loved. Behind him was the Roman garrison in whom he had been called to witness to. It didn't matter. He loved the men in front and was called by God for the men behind him. And that's Acts. And that is the life of Paul. The call of God for his life. What is the call of God for your life? 
We've had all sorts of questions through here, through this chapter. Questions that must be asked and must be answered. Who are you, Lord? What shall I do? Some of you could hear the words, what are you waiting for to be baptised? What are you waiting for if you've heard the call of God? And some of you should heed that, to go, to depart, I shall send you. Whatever one of them questions is for you today, may you trust him. May you trust him with the answer he gives you. As I said before, though timing isn't perfect, his will is. His will is. And so today, this morning, will you trust him? Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your son, the Lord Jesus. Lord, I want to pray if there is anyone here today that wants to ask that question, may you answer it clearly to them. Even today, maybe they have seen who your son truly is the saviour of the world who loves them so much and died for them. And not only that, he took their sin. Lord Jesus, I do pray that you'll stir if anyone here doesn't know you. May at the end of this day, they do. They know that saving grace. Lord, if there's anyone here pondering being baptised to obey you, May you give them the courage to come forward just to talk to one of the leaders that that's their desire to honour you, to obey you. And maybe there are people here that have been called of you to either go or to serve. May they hear your voice in that, that they're asking the question, what shall I do, Lord? May you answer them today as well. Lord, I want to thank you for this day as we go into our next thought of remembering your son, the Lord Jesus, as we take that bread and cup. May our hearts burn for you. May our love burn for you as we remember now your son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.